Good morning, everyone. I want to thank everybody for being here this morning. Appreciate your presence here. We're studying Revelation. Uh, there are still a couple of books on the back if y'all need a book. Um, we're in Revelation chapter 22. We're probably going to finish this, this up this morning, and then we have our gospel meeting next week, and then the week after that we'll start Matthew, or at least I'm thinking that's the plan, unless we take a long time this morning. If we do, that's fine, but... We're, uh, we're looking at Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 through 17. Before we get started this morning, if you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you and praise you for your word, Father, for the Bible that you've given us, Father, that we would know what your will is for us and what we should do. We thank you for your love and your wisdom and your guidance, Father. We thank you for this wonderful day you've given us here and that we are able to come together and gather and study your word. We ask, Father, that you would lead and guide us in your word. Help us to learn what you want us to know and help us to draw closer to you and closer to our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read uh, verses 12 through 17. That's Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 through 17. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every one according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the last, the first, oh, the beginning and the end, sorry, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments. We talked about some translations will say who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Now, we had answered some questions, and we were down to question 17. Now, remember, we've just transitioned really out of the main um the main vision that John has had. We've just kind of transitioned out of that. He's seen the great city, the new Jerusalem, and they're talking to him, and this is where we're closing, basically closing uh, the chapter in the book of Revelation is what we're coming down to. So what do the verses say? If you look at verse 15, what is outside the city? And that's talking more in a more in a present sense now and back then with John, even before before the end. Yes, ma'am? Basically sinners, but it says dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral people and murderers and idolaters and liars. Right. Dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters, whoever loves and practices a lie. And remember, the Jews used to call Gentiles because they were not God's people. They would call them dogs. So the idea is just really just anyone who's not God's people are outside the kingdom, right? Because we saw that those who uh, are not in the Lamb's Book of Life, they were in the lake of fire at the when it showed the end and the, 
before the New Jerusalem and the judgment they were put in the lake of fire. But, but like I said, this is transitioned out of that. It's kind of a repetition to make clear that only God's people are in the kingdom or will be with him. And uh, we know that they are not in the spiritual kingdom that even we're in now. If you're not following the Lord, you're not in that kingdom. So does anybody have anything on that? All right. So if we look at question 18, why had Jesus sent his angel? And this kind of refers back, if you can think about it, to the first of the book. Right, to testify these things to the churches, right? So, and, and what things, what's the testimony? What, what things? The book of Revelation, right? I mean, the whole vision, the whole, that's the whole message. The, the letters at the beginning, and then all the warnings, and all the, all the information coming down from the beginning. So, it's just the whole revelation, the the whole of the vision, yes. When we think about an angel, their duty or their job is to share a message. Right, the angel is a messenger, right. Right, so if you look at the angel that came to Mary or to Joseph, yes, there were angels. And, and this, could, this could be, in a way, John is the messenger or angel of this revelation in a way, too. Though the, the implication, I think, is that he's going to give this to other people to take to the churches. I think that was the implication we had. Uh, but yes, so in this case, I really believe the angel is the messenger. Um, whether that truly be a godly and angelic messenger or just someone that John is going to give that to to take to the churches. So if we look at question 19, how does Jesus describe himself? He's the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Right, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. He wants to make sure they understand who he is. He's our Lord and King and our Savior come down from uh, that line of David. Yes, ma'am? hard to wrap your mind around the whole root and the offspring, but of course he's eternal, right? So he's mm -hmm. he's the source from which David came, but he's also he came from David. Right, <laughs> right. Places. That's true, because he's the beginning and the end. Yeah, the Alpha and the Omega. So he's from before David, but he also come down through David. So yes, um, so he is, he is the root, the beginning of all things and the end. So he's making that clear. So if we look at question 20, who extends the invitation to come? They say, yes, ma'am. Yes, the spirit and the bride, the bride being the church should be, right? And then all those, well, we'll get to that. So, so who is the bride? That's us, right? We should be extending this invitation. This is, uh, this is that invitation that we should be extending to everyone that we can extend it to. So who else is to extend the invitation? There's one other that's mentioned or one other group, if you think of it. They who hear, right? They who hear the invitation. Excuse me? 
Yeah, whoever hears, yeah. And then to who is the invitation extended? Those who thirst, right? Just just like you're saying, to those who thirst. The, what, um, who are those that thirst, or what are they thirsting for? Righteousness, thirsting for righteousness. Whoever desires. Whoever desires, desires. God, right? The Spirit, Jesus, the Lord, however you want to say that part, right? Anybody have anything else? Because it would be those who are desiring the Lord, right? They recognize that they need they need God. So, and what is offered to those who thirst? The water of life, right? The water of life, to take of the water of life freely. And then, what do you think of the water of life? What is that? Yes, Matt? I think sometimes the Holy Spirit symbolizes my water, but it's kind of like parallel with the tree and the tree of life, the eternal life of God. Right, right. And, and that's what I was thinking, too. It, it can represent the Spirit of God. It's also... They can it can represent represent a number of things the spiritual spiritual washing and change that we need to be with God eternally you know have that refreshing of the of the soul um, and it flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb and you remember uh, the lady at the well that Jesus spoke to and he offered her this water of life and this goes along with that it's that that kind of water. So it represents eternal life and peace with God, and the source is from God. Again, he always supplies us with everything. Now, this invitation is the last in the book, and it's still open, and we still extend this invitation today. Does anybody have anything else on that before we read the last few verses here? Yes. Uh-huh. Right. But I think with it, you think about this morning star, we think about uh, morning and a new day, a fresh start, try to get it right today, because we messed up yesterday. Yeah, he's the bright and morning star and so helps us do that. Yeah. Is hope, mm -hmm. that he brings hope because he's the bright and morning star. Right. He brings hope for us each new day, right? Every day it's like, um, how does that go? Uh you can have you know pain in the night, but in the morning his mercies are new every morning. I forget. I'm not saying that correctly at all, but um, but yeah, God's mercies are new to us every morning, and the Lord is the bright and morning star. So yeah, he's he's representing that hope for us each day, each new day is a, another chance. Yes. I think there's also some symbolism of the resurrection in that too. Yes. Yeah. The resurrection, the new life. It, yeah, there is that. It symbolizes that resurrection and that that new life that we find in the Lord when we're when we're baptized into His death and resurrection. We also have that that new life. Anybody have anything else? Okay. If we look at Revelation chapter twenty-two again, verses eighteen through twenty-one. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, 
If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So if we look at uh, question 22, what warning is given to those who hear the words of the prophecy of this book? That warning is, uh, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues written in the book, right? And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, God will take away his part from the book or tree of life, the holy city, and the things written in this book. This is a final warning to accept God's word as it is, uh, not to change or take away from it. And while it's specific to Revelation, um, there is similar precedent already in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. We may not always understand everything in the Bible, but we don't have the liberty to change it. We can chase trying to understand it, but we can't just change it to suit us. So um, that's that's a warning for us there, and especially we don't want to be teaching something that's incorrect. So, Does anybody have anything on that? If we look at uh, question 23, what promise is given by him who testifies of these things? It's a simple promise, if you think of it that way, or a declaration. It says, surely I am coming quickly, right? And again, this is that word we talked about before, you know, because you say, so when is Jesus coming? Because, you know, a lot of times we say he's coming soon, but I don't think that's the exact idea here. Again, this word is like quickly, speedily. It doesn't necessarily mean immediately, like today or tomorrow, or even in a very short time, but it means without delay, and it could mean suddenly, like he says. He's coming suddenly like a thief in the night, and you won't know when he's coming. So Jesus will return when he's supposed to. He will not delay. Does anybody have anything on that? Any comment or anything? Yes? The warning in verse 18 about not adding or taking away is really something you need to pause and take seriously. Yeah, the warning in 18, yes, to not to not add to or take away, that is something to take very seriously, yes. I mean, that to me, that applies to the whole of the Bible, but but yeah. Right, we can't just pick and choose what we want to what we want to follow and then not follow the rest. We have to follow everything I know, and uh, we do have to, you know, keep keep true to what Jesus has said. His words will not will not fade away or go away. His word will last.
If we look at question 24, what two prayers does John express as he closes the book? And I, I would say one is not a prayer, but that's okay. It doesn't really matter how you look at it. But well, what two things, I guess, does John express as he closes the book here? Yes, ma'am. Praying for Jesus to come, and then right. I think he's praying for the grace of Jesus to be with him. Right, and I was thinking of that as a as a kind of a blessing, but I guess you can say that's a prayer. I mean, that's nothing wrong with that. I was just in my mind, that's how I thought of it. But I did notice he says, what, two prayers? And yeah, amen, even so, come Lord Jesus. So he's saying basically, you know, so be it, the, the word of God, let that be true, let that stand and happen just as God has said. You know, even so, come Lord Jesus. And then the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And then he says, Amen again. So be it. He's reinforcing that idea. Yes. I wonder if with the word Amen there, maybe the author of the question here is looking at that as the closing of a prayer, but often that's that's not necessarily closing of a prayer. It's like you just said, it's may this be so, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. May this be so. That's another way of saying that, right? So it's like, reinforcing the idea that, yeah, let God's word come true. Let that happen, as he has said. So, um, so there is, there is a little something to look at, though. Why does John say, even so? I'm just curious if you, if you have any thought about that. To me, I was, I was thinking, uh, you know, because it means the end of this life and, and, you know, some souls will be judged and lost eternally. And we all hate to see that. And we know that God doesn't want that. But uh, even so, you know, come Lord Jesus. So even though there's a bad side to it, that's that's how I was thinking of that. And I was just curious if you had any other thoughts on that. Yes. I was just going to say, in the translation I'm looking at, it doesn't have those words. So it's kind of thrown off. But I, oh, really? I see it there, the New King James. Oh, it's in the New King James. So I may not have looked at any other translation on that verse. Okay. I'm so used to seeing that. Because to grow up with the King James Version, you're going to see basically the same thing. So, Okay. All right. While we're, while we're um, talking about translations. Yes. <laughs> um, back to the, the which, is it verse 19 with the tree of life or the book of life? Yeah, where there's a, there seems to be two different ways of that. Yeah, from what I've studied, um, when when the the gentleman that was a scholar back before the King James version was translated, he didn't have a Greek manuscript for this part of Revelation, and he had uh, he only had the Latin. Oh, okay. And the, the Latin um, had a mistake, and this one letter difference from ligna versus libra or. Yeah. Versus book. book. Yeah. <laughs> and so they just didn't have a Greek manuscript for that. And so someone, someone like wrote one, like right then, like here you have it. <laughs> <laughs> but then later we found, you know, actual Greek manuscripts from from that, and it's it's true. So that's 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 part of that controversy. Okay, so that's where that's a little different. Let's see. So there's actually no. There's literally no Greek manuscripts that have book there in verse 19. 
It's actually a tree. The one the guy made. <laughs> right. That's oh. a, I need a Greek manuscript. So it's actually a tree of life yeah. then. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So, but, but that makes sense anyway. I mean, either way, but especially that does make sense. You know, if you are not following God, if you're not following properly and you're changing the word of God, then yeah, you're not going to have the right to the tree of life, right? Because you're not following God. So that makes, makes perfect sense. So, and this was a final blessing that John gives us here at the end. And with the reinforcement of saying amen to God's plan, and that's really how we should look at the whole of the Bible. Not even just Revelation, but I know Revelation is more of that vision. Now we do have, the, uh, the author of the workbook has like a little summary, which I thought we could look at a couple of the things that he's written here um, in the time we have, because we have, we have quite a few minutes here. Um, I wanted to read a couple of things that he's written here that I thought were good, and I just copied these out of that workbook summary, so if you're looking at that, you can see it. I am persuaded the key to handling and understanding Revelation properly is to let the first three chapters set the context in which the book should be interpreted. In those chapters, we learn that the book was intended to be understood. It was a revelation, an unveiling, so that it would be understood. It was about things that would soon take place. Now, I, I'm going to agree and disagree, but soon take place, not thousands of years later. Um, and the reason I say that is that I think a lot of this is meant to take place suddenly at its appointed time. But I also think that the things we see, all the corruption we see in society and in the governments and in the church and all of those things, I think we see that down throughout history. It was true and present for them at their time, and it's also true and still present here for us at this time. So I think it's still, all that corruption is still going on. But anyway, to his other points, could be understood even by an individual reading to a public audience, and I would think for them, especially at their time, that would be the case, um, is filled with signs and symbols Likely understood by the original readers, I'm, I'm sure that's true. There's some signs and symbols that maybe we don't understand as easily as they would have. Was addressed to seven specific churches, so any interpretation must first be applicable to those churches and their times, and that's why I'm saying I, I believe it was. It was all applicable to their times, and I think the reason the symbology is used is because it's going to be applicable down through history, even in our times. I think sometimes we get a little distracted trying to tie things to specific events, even though there are some historical things that you can see being related. Um, let's see, was written to the churches who had already experienced persecution from unbelieving Jerusalem and pagan Rome, which we know that was going on. They were being persecuted by both Jews and by Rome. Uh, contains promises to those in the seven churches who overcome by remaining faithful even to death, which promises are mostly depicted in their fulfillment by visions later in the book. And that's true. We do see in the visions those who are faithful and overcome. The theme of the book is clear. Jesus is coming to judge. He now reigns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
His coming judgments, as depicted in Revelation, involve judging churches, unbelieving Jerusalem, pagan Rome. Now, he's got some things in comments here. Uh, pagan Rome, governments, Satan, and the world. So, of course, we know that Satan is against us, and he's using the world against us as much as possible. Study in Revelation, we learn of Christ's power and sovereignty over the kingdoms of this world. Like other books of the New Testament that may have been written to address specific situations affecting churches in the first century, we can make application to our own lives. And here he has the word, if we find ourselves, but I'll just say when we find ourselves facing situations similar to those endured by the Christians of the first century, because we know that maybe we're not experiencing that, but there are places in this world where Christians are uh, definitely facing worse persecution. I can think of Pakistan right off the top of my head. Back in a few weeks ago, they were experiencing some uh, some turmoil with their churches being burned, and I'm not sure what all what all else was happening. So, and we know that Christians are still killed in some places in the world today. So, the things I want us to really take away from this, and I, I appreciate y'all being with me through this study because. I've learned a lot from it, and I hope it's been helpful to y'all as well. Um, this vision, this huge vision that John has, or if you want to think of it as multiple visions, that's fine. Um, I think there's definitely some historic correlation, like I said, back to their days. But I also think that uh, it still applies. A lot of that still applies to us. You look at the uh, letters to the churches, little warnings for those churches and lessons for us and things that every congregation should pay attention to that we're not falling into uh, being taught deceptively or being taught and led away from God. We look at when I talk about the church being corrupt, I'm really not talking about necessarily us as a congregation, but I mean what the world thinks of and sees as the church, like say, if you say like the Catholic church or or just, you know, a lot of, uh, what have we talked about? Uh, the uh, the name-it-and-claim-it kind of theology or the, uh, you know, God's your heavenly ATM, you know, cash out your money, you know, and get money from him. I forget which we, what they call that now, but the, the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel. Thank you. Those are the words I was looking for. And... Uh, you know, all those things, people see a lot of that because that's on TV. That's, you know, it's out there. It's publicly out there. We see a lot of tricksters and a lot of people doing things that aren't true. And we don't want to be caught up in any of that. So unfortunately, though, that is a lot of the church that the world sees back. Yes, Dan. Right, we should filter. Right, we should filter everything through the Bible, right? And that's how we should know. Like when we come in to some some church and and we sit down and listen to them, we should be able to follow along in our Bible and understand and see that it all lines up. And if it doesn't, then you know we we may have an issue. So, and some people we have to understand that sometimes people can be sincerely wrong, not meaning to be wrong. So, I mean, we have to have some grace and, and care and correct each other. That's part of what uh, 
congregation and the church is all about too, right? So we have to have that. Yes? Back to that part about uh, whether things take place then or thousands of years. Uh, there's, there's one view of this that I disagree with, but uh, it takes the view that the new heavens and the new earth that we've just been studying about the, you know, this last part of the book, that rather than that being our eternal heavenly home idea, that that's the church. Ah. And so, like, therefore, that's all present day for those first century people. Um, but I guess one verse I would say to go against that is even Second Peter, Second uh, Peter three thirteen. He says from that first century context, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So it's still still future, right? Even for Peter there in the first century. But there are some that take that. There's one workbook I went through. Uh, a member of the church, I think Weldon Warnock, I think that's the view he takes is that this is the church. That that's the church now, and it's all well. That's that's the one thing when we when we look at. I think, what is it? Is it chapter about 19? When we look at the judgment on, definitely uh, those things we know have not occurred, right? So I think when we look at that, let's see. Well, even if you look at 19 where Babylon has fallen and, and Christ has returned, some of those things have definitely not happened, right? I mean, we know Jesus has not returned because when he returns, everybody's going to know it. There's not going to be an option to know it or not know it or some way that it's going to be deceptive. When he returns, we're all going to know. We're told that. So um, so there are certain things that have not yet happened. And I was really thinking, I guess, more of the corruption that they were talking about before those things. But yeah, definitely, those things have not happened. Christ has not returned yet, though. Like you're saying, there is some belief that, that yeah, the church is somehow we are in this eternal heavenly home already. And I, I think that's maybe a confusion of the spiritual kingdom that we are in. We, we are spiritually citizens of the kingdom of God. We're just, it's just not all complete yet. It's not done yet. Do anybody have anything else on that? Because I was... I was, I, I, okay, well, I'll keep going for a minute then. So um, <laughs> I do want us to realize, too, that, that Jesus has removed, okay, just like we saw in Revelation, we, we saw that Jesus has removed Satan from being that accuser in front of God. Instead, we have a defender and a high priest in front of God. And it's not that Satan isn't still against us. He is. He's still trying to use that temptation and using those things against us as much as he can to tempt us into sin and doing incorrectly. Um, I also want us to realize that the Holy Spirit, that is our seal, marking us as God's people, and that's received in baptism. And you can read about that like in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, and 2 Corinthians, let's see, 1, verses 21 and 22. Uh, but... Uh, you know, Peter mentions there in Acts 2 that we receive the Holy Spirit, right? And uh, then here in Ephesians, I'm just going to flip over there real fast. Well, as fast as I can go. That may not be super fast. We'll see. Because I, even, even with my phone, and the Bible's really laid out good on my phone, I still probably take too long. But here in Ephesians 4, verse 30... 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's our seal for redemption. We get that through baptism. So I just want to make sure that we understand just some simple points that are very important that we get out of Revelation. Because that's that, you know, if you remember when we were reading and it talks about God's people being sealed, that's what we're sealed with. So. Again, we still see a lot of the same things today that they saw then, a corrupt church, a corrupt society, corrupt governments. We see unrepentant people who are enjoying evil. Um, but Jesus is coming, and judgment is coming, and it's coming suddenly, unexpectedly. No, we don't know when, but we must be working while we can and to save as many as we can before they're lost forever. And then I want us to remember also that uh, Jesus, of course, is victorious. Jesus and God are victorious. The darkness and the evil and all those scary bad things and all that, it, it'll all be gone. That'll all totally be gone. And we who are faithful will share in his victory. He will keep all his promises to us. We will live forever, forever with God and God will be with us, his children and you know, this was always his plan. You can go back to the Old Testament and you can see how he would be with Adam and Eve. You can see how he had them do the tabernacle. He wanted to be with them. They did the temple again. God is trying to live with his people and be with his people. You see that down through the Bible. And here, finally, the plan will be complete. And we will be, we will be with God. I know this is an artist's representation. It may not be like this, but we will be with God in that great city in the end. And that's that's probably the most important thing to take out of Revelation, just that he will be victorious and we will be with him. Does anybody else have anything on Revelation? Yes. In John 14, beginning of 14, Jesus says, about my go to prepare a place for you. Right. And it's interesting to me when you think about, say, David, Right. Well, right. Like you said in in John, he says, "Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you." Right. So he's going, or he's gone, to prepare a place for us. But in the past, we were always trying to prepare a place for him. And even now, in our hearts, we're always trying to prepare a place for him, right? So that still holds true, but he has prepared or is preparing a place for us. Revelation 21, 3, I think we talked about this last week. God's dwelling place is now among the people. Yes, yes, God's dwelling place will be with us in that holy city, right? So... Does anybody else have anything Anything else on Revelation before we end this morning? All right. So two weeks from today, we'll start with uh, Matthew.
the Gospel of Matthew, and I will put the books out. Um, I'll, I'll wait till after our meeting, and I'll put the books out for that, okay? Thank you all for your attention. really appreciate it.